This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver. The Denver public school system is dominating the local news cycle. Students protesting at the Capitol led to a questionable use of force against the young demonstrators, and DPS itself is under the microscope for its alleged lax approach to expulsions. Not to mention the district's own board is very publicly bickering again. Producer Aaron O'Toole joins me to dig into the state of DPS. Plus, we discuss a very interesting turn in our pizza landscape. Today is Tuesday, April 11th. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Hello, Aaron. Good morning, Bree. So clearly, Paul still on vacation, but <laughs> he's still out. <laughs> he's still out, but that doesn't stop the news. And the reason I bring up Paul Caroli, our producer. Not because I want to call him out on being on a vacation I want to be on, but because we got to start this roundup of stories with the most Paul story of all time. What could that be? Hmm. <laughs> Any guesses what that's related to, Erin? My first guess would be, is it pizza? Oh, my gosh. It's pizza. And not only is it pizza, it's one of Paul's greatest conundrums in life, the thing that really drives him to dig and dig and find out more and more about this particular pizza place. You know, longtime listeners will know we're talking about Bojo's Pizza. Yes. What's going on with Bojo's? Why is it even in the news? <laughs> that's the, that's like a totally fair question. So Bojo's actually turned 50 over the weekend, which is super cool. Oh. Um, but their ever elusive owner, Chip Bear, was on hand in person for the big announcement, um, which was not just that they were turning 50. Right. Uh, Colorado Sun reporter and guest of the show, Jason Blevins, reported that Chip's, you know, started this big festivities uh, outside the restaurant to say... Happy 50th anniversary to this restaurant. I'm selling it. Whoa. Yeah. So <laughs> just keep keep in mind, this is like one of the largest private employers in Clear Creek County. I mean, this place means business. It's not just a pizza restaurant that has different locations around the state. Like, it's an institution. And then uh, Chip's little joke was, I'm selling the company to his employees. So it's becoming a worker-owned restaurant. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. I imagine it, people were going, why did you invite us to these festivities to, <laughs> to, to say you're some... selling the company? <laughs> so it's, I mean, it's great. I think it's I, I, It's all along those lines of we're talking about this grow growth in conversations around worker power. And I mean, I, I would also feel a little bit skeptical because the restaurant business is a really precarious place to be post-quarantine, still in the midst of COVID issues. But sure. I mean, for longtime employees, that seems like it could be a pretty cool opportunity. 
Yeah. Is this kind of a rare thing to have an employee-owned company? An employee-owned restaurant, yeah. I think there's a little over 200 employee-owned private companies in Colorado, but it is very rare for those to be restaurants. So, Hmm. you know, Bojo's could be precedent-setting, which is pretty cool. You never know. I'm sad they waited until Paul was on vacation to to turn 50. How dare they? (laughs) I know. I was like, I am waiting for Paul's reaction. Well, so that was our fun news. But um, we want to dig into several stories that are interrelated here that are happening here in Denver and across the country. But Denver in particular is grappling with something, which is these big conversations we're having across the city about Denver public schools, schools in general. But Denver public schools has really been in the spotlight in part because of two recent shootings at East High School in the last couple of months. One resulted in the death of a teenager named Luis Garcia. And then the other one involved a student who um, shot two administrators who lived. Um, Unfortunately, the student died by suicide. But um, this, along with this ongoing conversation that is unfortunately relevant almost weekly here in America is the conversation about gun violence and how it impacts young people. Yes. And there have been a lot of student protests that we've been seeing. Yeah. And there was one last week where uh, students from various DPS schools walked out in this continued protest over gun violence issues. And um, they walked to the Capitol, went into the House Gallery, into the balcony where you can observe like legislating happening. And there were students that were shouting about Legislators not doing anything or the lack of inaction by adults to keep kids safe and alive. And then I guess there was an attempt by a state patrol who was like the armed guards that were there right. to to remove one of the shouting students and they had to get climb like they had to get over other students in the row to reach this person. Um, but there was video that circulated through social media from various viewpoints of a young Latino student who excessive force was being used to remove him and he wasn't even the one that was yelling. And so the Denver Post covered this really well. They talked to students that were there and students that were there said it felt like profiling. And uh, House Speaker Julie McCluskey, who's a Democrat from Dillon, is calling for an investigation into this particular incident. So I think we'll know more after that. But um, I think it just reiterates the gravity of the situation is in so many ways. It's about gun violence. It's about the role of police in society. It's the role of police in schools. It's how we interact with children, how children interact with this this world that we live in with gun violence and how they use their own power, but then also the racial lines that are drawn when we talk about enforcement. Right. I'm wondering, too, um, because the Post also did this deep dive into expulsion rates in DPS. What is the relationship here? Yeah. And so what I think, again, I think pulling back and looking at this as as a bigger picture conversation, it's really about gun violence and the role of schools, the role that schools play in these situations. Because if you're under 18, school is the majority of the place that you spend the most time other than home, right? Yeah. So schools are really in charge of a lot of things socially in our society that I think can get pretty murky when we talk about enforcement of things like expulsions. So the Denver Post did this really great nuanced deep dive into the expulsion rates in DPS, kind of looking at how are how are students punished or how are how are things taken care of when a situation in particular, like a student bringing a gun to school, like what what happens um, and. Over the last decade, the Post found in looking at reports that 
um, DPS has been trending downward for expulsion. So they're expelling less students over the last decade than they have. And DPS is obviously the largest school district in the state, but they also had the least amount of students expelled. It seems like there would be a little bit of a tension here, a, a tension between, you know, are we being too lenient with these policies or are we helping students ultimately who don't need to be kicked out? They need this place to go and to grow. That's exactly the tension that I think the Post article was getting at. The lower expulsion rate sort of comes as DPS is also reporting more real and fake guns being found mm -hmm. on students. Mm -hmm. Um and this bigger picture of gun violence in the city. So like citywide, 17 teenagers were killed in Denver last year. And that's almost double the number that had died five years ago. Awful. That's, yeah, it's, I, it, I just don't even know what to, I don't even know how to think about that. But then we put the element of school into that relationship. And um, the, so the idea is with lower expulsion rates, we're keeping kids in the classroom, even if they have behavioral issues, they're trying to figure out what to do other than just sending them away. But mm -hmm. DPS policy clearly states um, a student who brings a gun to campus is supposed to be suspended immediately, followed by a hearing through a third party. But sort of what happens in that hearing is really murky and DPS declined to comment on that particular hearing process. But they, as far as it, it seems, they aren't expelling students for having guns. I think the example that we have right here, unfortunately, is this student who shot two administrators in March had been expelled from Cherry Creek schools for a previous issue, and he was on a sort of behavior safety plan, and that's right. the reason he was being patted down when the the shooting occurred. But there were questions of like, okay, why was he in our school, right? If he got expelled right. from another school, right? And why this involved security procedure? You know, are we asking school? districts and school administrators to just do too much. Exactly. Exactly. And so there's this really fine line, too, where um, I love there was this quote from a teacher, um, Aaron Lowenkron, that the, the Post talked to. And he said, I'm a math teacher. I don't want to be in law enforcement. I want to teach math and invite as many kids as possible into that process. And I just felt that comment was such a great encapsulation of the struggle that teachers are having, which is like, I want my students to be safe. I don't want to be in charge of figuring out if they have weapons and why we even got to this point, right? Yeah. Um, and I have to say, anecdotally, the teachers that I've talked to aren't necessarily like, please, yes, we want more law enforcement in schools. We want stricter expulsion um, outcomes and things like that. But I think the question is, okay, if that's not the answer, how do we keep ourselves safe as teachers? And also, how do we not become law enforcement and find ways to like help our kids, but also get get more support. I think that's the the hard part for teachers here. Yeah, I think because the bottom line is you're still going to have students in the classroom who are struggling with behavioral issues or problems concentrating. Having more police in schools can be a great thing for safety, but what about kids who are just struggling to behave well um, and pay right. attention? Are, are they going to? be put into the school-to-prison pipeline. Yeah, and I think that would be the other thing, too, is like safe for who, right? Um, DPS has about 90,000 students enrolled, and about 75% of them are students of color. And the district itself has a history of disciplining Black and Latino students at higher rates than white peers. And, and this is information that DPS has shared. They're aware. This is something that they're working on. But at the same time, it's like, not pushing kids out of school, right? Because that was my first reaction was like, why would we expel a kid for a year 
for having a gun. We got to figure out why they had a gun, what's going on in their lives that they felt like they needed one, where they got one. And that's like, those are really hard questions for an a school district to ask when it's clearly a societal issue, it's a community issue, it's an everybody issue. So I really feel for folks on both sides of this issue, whether you're someone who's pro more police in schools and someone who is like, that's not the answer. I see the struggle between both of those things. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. This episode is brought to you by the Denver Botanic Gardens. It's time for the 75th annual spring plant sale at the Denver Botanic Gardens. Mark your calendars for Friday and Saturday, May 10th and 11th. Admission is free, but you must register in advance at botanicgardens.org. Registering my husband, Greg, right now for the plants I want him to pick out and plant in our yard for me. Shop from 15 different plant divisions, including annuals, houseplants, herbs and veggies, and specialties like aquatics, container garden in a bag, and plants grown right at the gardens. The garden's horticulture staff will be on site to answer any and all plant questions you may have. This sale emphasizes water smart and native plants that are perfect for our semi-arid climate. They'll be great for a beautiful landscape that doesn't require a bunch of water. For more details, registration information, and a catalog of available plants, go to botanicgardens.org. That's botanicgardens.org. What's in the school board conversation these days, Erin? I mean, there are a couple of things, but I want to start with uh, Kwame Spearman. You may remember Kwame Spearman from the Denver mayoral race. Um, He actually ended his run for mayor in mid-March without saying too much about why he was doing that. Um, But he says now he is considering running for a seat on the DPS school board. Um, He is apparently not done with Denver politics. Um, There's a a great story from Westward by Teague Bolin. Kwame said he is not going to be returning to his position as CEO at the Tattered Cover. And he's considering running for this at-large seat on the DPS board. That is the seat that's currently held by Ayante Anderson. Mm, okay. I know. And I kind of I kind of guffawed a little bit when you said he was running for school board. I think, again, we don't need to talk about that mess that was the mayor's race. But to point out, he's the only candidate that dropped out of the race after ballots went out. Right. So I just that would to me would signal a lack of support by the community for your run to be in a position of leadership in the city. So the announcement of being interested in a board seat for something as influential as the DPS board is confounding to me. 
I, I'm not really sure where it's coming from either. Um, in this article, Spearman said he really enjoyed running for mayor uh, so much that he he dropped out, I guess. No, he said he likes the, the policy conversations. He likes meeting with constituents. And I think he thinks he can make a difference here. I mean, famously, the, the DPS board has just been in turmoil for the last year. Yeah, it's been in, in turmoil in terms of it's fighting within itself. Yeah. It seems like a wild thing to want to jump into after you just left a 17 candidate mayor's race. Right. You know, I do. I did read that he is a graduate of East High School, which I had not realized. And I'm wondering if what's been happening there has factored into his decision. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think um, not only is uh, Kwame a graduate of East High School, he was running tattered cover directly across the street from East High School. Hmm. So I would be interested in his perspective. I also know that he hasn't been back in Denver for a long time. He was out of the state working and, you know, had a career elsewhere. So I don't know. This just seems like doing trying to do a lot of big things while just reintroducing (laughs) yourself to your home city. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Um, But Bree, This is not the only DPS news that's going on right now. No, especially not related to the school board, because again, if we know anything about this iteration of the school board, it is in the news a lot in this. (laughs) So what is what is going on with the school board, the current sitting school board? What's going on right now? Well, this has to do with Board Vice President Ayanta Anderson. Uh, There is news that he may face another censure. Um, Denver's mm. school board president, Soshi Gaitan, says she's going to move to censure Anderson. Uh, she is alleging that he violated board policy. And this was following the March shooting of two administrators at East High. According to reporting by Chalkbeat's Melanie Asmar, Gaitan is accusing him of disclosing confidential information to the press. Uh, I think I saw him tweeting about this, too. Um, This information came from a closed-door executive session of the board, so that's private. It's confidential. Anderson says that he only disclosed information that was shared outside of that session. Mm, That's going to be hard to prove. It's going to be say. really hard to prove. And I think we've got to talk about the fact that this is the not the first time that Vice President Anderson has been censured by his own board. That's right. 2021, VP Anderson was censured for, violate, quote, violating expectations of board member behavior. There was an investigation uh, that found he'd engaged in some kind of, quote, flirtatious conduct with students on social media. You know, he denied doing anything improper, but he was censured then. We'll see if this happens again. The board was set to discuss this, uh, you know, on Monday, and then they'll vote on April 20th. But like we mentioned before, Brie, this is coming after a year of division and turmoil within the DPS board. And in fact, we talked with Melanie Asmar about it last year. She's the reporter for Chalkbeat who's been doing some great reporting on this. Yeah, she she really helped us dig into understanding like, so we had this new board elected and a lot of, I think most of them were from this same sort of slate. They were supported by the teachers union. They were supposed to be more progressive. Right. Um, I, I, I think the assumption, I think for me as a voter was that they were under similar ideologies and how they were going to operate the school board. And really in this in this moment that we've been in around things like violence in schools and how we support students. And I mean, beyond those like serious issues, this board is having some like interpersonal conflicts, right? I will say that, you know, it appears to be 
partly a result of this new style of operating that the board came in with and said, we're going to do, you know, we're going to, we're going to operate with one voice. It's called policy governance. Again, it was supposed to unify the board in making these decisions, but really it, again, it sparked these interpersonal conflicts that you mentioned, uh, some downright cringy board meetings. I said, it was, yeah, I was like, really you don't want to listen to the, that tape. It is, makes it was, you uncomfortable for people. It was tough. But part of the other problem was they just seemed to have this inability to actually get things done, to actually craft policies that would help students. And like you just mentioned, Bree, this is a time when we really need action on behalf yeah. of the students to, to keep them safe. And I, I don't know what if that's possible with this board. Yeah, I would be extremely frustrated if I was a student, understanding that I might be out protesting the fact that uh, adults in the room can't make decisions to to keep us safe from gun violence, but they're they're in the news for fighting with each other all the time. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, before we go, we being the show that brings you all the latest Casa Bonita <laughs> news. Um, so the Post has been doing this really fun series on uh, talking to big fans of Casa Bonita and former employees, folks that work there all throughout the almost 50 years that it's been open. And the most recent story uh, involves the food and they talked to some, uh, so uh, Tiny Richardi, the reporter at Denver Post, talked to a couple former employees and some just some big fans of Casa Bonita who said, you know what, this sort of complaint about the food at Casa Bonita being bad is unwarranted to them. Erin, <laughs> um, have you, did you go to Casa Bonita when it was open? So I have to tell you, I've never been to Casa Bonita. Okay. My husband has been, he went many times as a child and- <laughs> For the record, he says the food wasn't that bad, but he was also nine and anything tastes good, especially Look, in an atmosphere like that. I'm here. I'm with Jonathan on that. And I'm also with a lot of these folks that were interviewed for this story because the drum I'm going to bang on one last time before we get a new 2.0 Casa Vanita is it's. When it was open, it was a place for children. I mm -hmm. do not. I have been there dozens of times, many, many birthdays of my own, my friends, my cousins. I will tell you, I don't have a distinct memory of the food at all being gross or anything. Okay. I like as an adult, I understood it wasn't great. I didn't think it was terrible. But um, I just wanted to share this amazing quote from uh, a former employee who worked there in 1975. Becky Nazaro of Parker told The Post, most people that worked there loved the food. The longer we worked there, the more of a discount we got on our food. And they enjoy, I mean, they enjoyed it. They, they legitimately liked it. Part of me has to wonder if as cuisine developed and elevated in Denver, if Maybe people just started thinking less fondly on the food at Casa Bonita, like compared to what else you could get in Denver. Suddenly it, it sucked. No, that's true. That's true. I think that's at play here. Also, I think um, there was some information in this article that was really interesting that someone or, who were actually worked in the kitchen in the early 70s or in the mid 70s said um, everything was made from scratch except the tamales. So. Huh. 
I would say the food I was probably eating in 2000 and I don't know, 15 at Casa Bonita was not made from scratch. So I think there've been some very different versions. But um, I, what I loved about the story too is these folks are excited no matter what the Casa Bonita is going to reopen. But um, one of the gentlemen said that he was really excited that Dana Loca Rodriguez, who's the head chef now of Casa Bonita, um, she's a celebrated decorated chef here in Denver. Um, she's, again, in our interview with her, promised to bring back those original recipes, but just with fresher, better ingredients. Oh, so, you know. and back to making everything from scratch, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I was seeing a, a, a band, Grizzly Bear, at the Ogden. This was before the pandemic uh, and before Casa Bonita closed, obviously. And they mentioned on stage, hey, we went to Casa Bonita earlier. Oh, my and- God. The crowd cheered and they're like, and none of us got food poisoning. Yeah, and the crowd see? cheered even louder. <laughs> see, it's true. If Grizzly Bear says it, it's true. It's um, true. Okay. One more Casa Bonita note that you have for us. We've got a little bit more news. Yeah, a little bit more news. And it's kind of combining um, physical fitness with Casa Bonita. Um, I read that they are partnering with the Denver Colfax Marathon. Cool. Which is so cool. I loved seeing this nine news story about it. Um, apparently, when you run in the Denver Colfax Marathon, you run by all of these iconic landmarks like the state capitol, um, the Denver Zoo, and Casa Bonita. Wow. And, but I That's think a this run. is that I know. <laughs> I can't even fathom doing it. Um, so this year, Casa Bonita is um, jumping in. They're sponsoring the race's volunteers. So apparently, what that means is you're going to look at there's 1,500 volunteers for this race. You're going to see an ocean of Pepto-Bismol pink shirts oh <laughs> on I, all of the volunteers. I love that. I have to say, they've done su- they've just been really smart about their branding. They're aligning with things they know people connect to Casa Bonita. And that's yeah. awesome. It, I didn't see anything about whether they're going to hand out free sopapillas to all participants. <laughs> but I, I mean, I think that would be great. Personally, um, by the way, if you want to participate in any way in the Colfax Marathon, it's happening the weekend of May 20th and 21st. It apparently is Denver's only marathon. It's the largest running event in Denver. Like 20,000 people are expected to participate. Yeah, so you can sign up to participate or to volunteer by going to runcolfax.org. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. I'm also thinking about our dear lead producer, Paul, avid runner on our team. We might have to see if he and his wife, Megan, are up to the challenge of doing the Colfax Marathon. I would love to see it. Love to see it. (laughs) Well, Erin, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Oh, and just a reminder, me, your faithful host, will be getting on stage Thursday night and reading from my teenage diaries. Join us for Mortified Live at the Oriental Theater, where you can meet me and the rest of the CityCast Denver crew in person for this silly celebration of high school cringe. Get your tickets now at getmortified.com forward slash live. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell former Bojo's owner Chip Bear about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you later. Paul probably has like a Google alert on Bojo's and he's like, He's like on his vacation, like, no, I don't get to report on 
The Bojo's transfer of power! <laughs>